Today, we'll see an ancient ritual given a new and better meaning, as we see one kind of lamb exchanged for a new and better one. You're listening to The Bible Brief. It's the week of the Passover celebration, the week where Jews celebrate God's deliverance from Egyptian slavery, and especially their deliverance from that final plague that God sent upon the Egyptians. You'll remember this from way back in the book of Exodus. God had sent nine plagues upon the nation of Egypt because the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, would not let the Israelites leave. In return for Pharaoh's refusal, God sent plague after plague showing the weakness of the Egyptian fake gods against the true God of the Israelites. But the plague that broke Pharaoh was the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn of each family in Egypt. Remember, God provided a single way to escape this devastating plague. A way to ensure that a household would not experience the death of the firstborn. And this way was blood. Blood of an innocent, unblemished lamb. That lamb was to be killed. Its blood was to be put on the doorposts of each home. And when God saw the blood, he would pass over that house. The plague of death would not visit the house that night because of the lamb's blood. And this was called the Lord's Passover. And it was to remember this great Passover that the Jews gathered in Jerusalem for this memorial feast. They remembered the shed blood of the lamb and the escape from judgment that the lamb provided. They'd been celebrating for hundreds and hundreds of years, Passover after Passover. But this time, on this Passover, it would be different. This time, everything was going to change. This Passover would gain a new meaning and new significance. The Passover would be done with a new kind of lamb, the Lamb of God. Jesus and his disciples were gathered together that Passover night to celebrate the meal along with many of the other homes in Jerusalem. Having been welcomed into the city earlier in the week to shouts of joy to the Son of David, Jesus was now preparing for the most difficult moments of his life. It was here, in this upper room, that we read this. When the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table, and the disciples with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus was doing something monumental in this celebration of the Passover. During this dinner, he was applying some of the eating elements to himself. He was applying it to what he was about to do when he suffered. He was doing no less than instituting the new covenant. Now, as listeners, you'll recall that word covenant because you've heard it before. Perhaps you think of the Abrahamic covenant, those great promises of the land, seed, and blessing to the nations. Or maybe you're thinking about the Davidic covenant of a throne, a dynasty, and an everlasting kingdom. And these are some major promises that hold the whole Bible together. God made these to anticipate the seed of both Abraham and David. 
that seed who is celebrating this meal now with his disciples. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And maybe you remember the new covenant because we've talked about it before too. It was in episode 53 called The Prophets and the Coming King. In that episode, we explained that God revealed through one of the Old Testament prophets named Jeremiah that he was going to make a new covenant with the tribes of Israel. He would actually write his law on their hearts and somehow change them from the inside out so that they could follow God from the heart instead of trying to live up to the external code of over 600 laws that he'd given them. The covenant made at Sinai is going to be decommissioned in favor of a new and better covenant. It's here, at this Passover dinner, that we see the announcement of the new covenant. The Messiah himself is doing something important. A new era is beginning, and this new covenant is not made like some of the others before had been. Abraham's covenant was confirmed via the blood of an animal. The covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai was also confirmed by the blood of an animal. This covenant, the new covenant, was made with much more precious blood. The blood of the Messiah. The king who should have been crowned will instead bleed. This will be the ultimate sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice, that permanent sacrifice that the sacrificial system pointed to. No longer would those atonement sacrifices be needed over and over again, year after year and month after month. No, this sacrifice would be the sacrifice of God in the flesh. The author of life, subject to death on the cross. And Jesus was announcing this at the Passover meal. He said, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Said another way, This sacrifice that I am about to accomplish, it will confirm this new covenant. From now on, you will celebrate a greater Passover with this meal. You will celebrate the Passover being accomplished by the Lamb of God. It will be my blood that covers, not the doorposts of your home, but the doorposts of your heart if you believe. And I'm not here just to save the firstborn of every family, but my blood is shed for all the families of the earth. After this Passover meal, Jesus and his disciples leave the dinner location and end up going right next to the city to a place called the Mount of Olives. You can imagine that the disciples are a little confused about Jesus and the new covenant at dinner. They were still struggling to understand the significance of Jesus' words and his teachings. They still didn't quite understand that he was here to announce a kingdom and not to take it by force. The Messiah, though, had work to do before he assumes the throne of David. It's here on the Mount of Olives where we see the Son of God praying alone and in agony. Jesus knows what's about to happen to him and is agonizing, not only because of what's about to happen to him physically, but what's about to happen to him spiritually. He's about to endure the suffering for every sin, for everyone, for all time. He's about to take the death penalty announced to Adam and Eve thousands of years before. He's about to become sin on behalf of the world whom he loves. He's about to accomplish the atonement. Soon, the quiet Passover night is interrupted by voices and shuffling feet, clanging of metal and beating of clubs. The dark Mount of Olives is lit up by torches approaching Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus says this to the disciples, 
See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, one of the twelve disciples, was leading the crowd to Jesus. You see, just before the Passover meal, Judas had gone to the chief priests and made a deal with them to deliver Jesus over to them for thirty pieces of silver. A deal to betray God for just a little bit of money. And having made this deal, he found an opportunity to fulfill his end of the bargain. So now, this Judas, this betrayer, approaches and meets the eyes of Jesus, and then he says, Greetings, teacher, before kissing him. The signal to the following crowd showing which one was Jesus. And Jesus simply replies, Friend, do what you came to do. Then the crowd came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And all the disciples left him and fled. Then we read, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Messiah. Who is it that struck you? The high priest, that priest from the tribe of Levi, commanded to lead the sacrificial system for the Israelites, it was he who condemned Jesus in this midnight assembly. The de facto leader of the national religious system, he looks at the Messiah, the Son of God, and says, He has uttered blasphemy. As for the condemned Messiah, he's being spit on and beaten. But the suffering is only beginning. Because Judea was occupied by the Roman Empire at the time, the Romans reserved the right to hand out capital punishment. The Jewish leaders could recommend the punishment to the Romans, but they couldn't legally carry it out. And so the priests in the crowd delivered Jesus to the Roman authority, and the governor asks him simply, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then the governor said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they gathered, the governor said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Messiah? for he knew that it was out of envy that the priests had delivered him up. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. The governor said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Messiah? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? 
but they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified! So when the governor saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Within a week, Jesus had been welcomed by a crowd, celebrating and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And yet, just days later, another crowd chanting, Crucify him! Join us next time as we see the end of the story. Or is it? Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Are you enjoying the podcast? One of the best ways for the show to grow is for you to share it with a friend. Will you do that today? We'd love to help more people understand the life-changing story and message of the Bible. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022